0: 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 32 through 34 the word of god says but i would have you without carefulness he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the lord how he may please the lord but he that is married careth for the things that are of the world how he may please his wife there is a difference also between a wife and a virgin the unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but that for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of having a copy of the Word of God. So many christians through the ages didn't have a copy or certainly not a full copy and yet here in this age we are blessed with multiple copies and it's it's so available i pray we'd be good students of it I pray you'd help us to rightly divide it uh, that we could be a workman not ashamed and that we could apply these things to our lives lord And if anybody in the world's going to get marriage right it has to be your people And so please give us a biblical mindset about marriage. Help those in the room, those under the sound of my voice, and then may we take these truths and teach them to others. For it's in Jesus' name and for your glory we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight I want to teach you how to change your mentality regarding marriage. And and here's what I believe. I believe if you will make one change in how you think about marriage, it can improve your marriage immediately. Immediately. I'm talking immediately. Tonight, before you walk out of the room, your marriage could be different. You say, how does that work? Because the mentality won't necessarily change your spouse, but it will change you. And one of the good truths of marriage is, you won't change your spouse, right? You need to let God do the changing. Your responsibility is to please the Lord yourself, and you let God change your spouse. No amount of nagging, complaining, manipulating is ever going to get you the result you're looking for long term. And so there's one change in your mentality that I believe Can change you and thereby changing your marriage experience immediately. Uh, And it's this thought that marriage is a ministry. Marriage is a ministry. If you're not married yet, but you plan to be married one day, you need to understand that marriage is a ministry. And that one thought will radically change your marriage experience. Uh, and so tonight I want to preach a simple message, the ministry of marriage. And let's dive in. Half of marriages end in divorce. Think about that. Half. The average, and I checked a few years ago, the average amount in America spent on a wedding is $20,000. Think about that. People spend an average of $20,000 on a marriage and they don't stay married. And so much effort goes into the wedding day, but they spend so little effort planning to live together. Uh, and, And it's a crazy thing. Many of those who stay together languish in mediocrity and unhappiness. The average couple that stays together would say they're moderately happy. Some of them would say they're very unhappy but they still stay married. Your marriage does not have to end. I believe that God can protect your marriage and put a divine protection on your marriage if you keep putting him first. At the same token, you don't have to live in unhappiness. You don't have to live unhappy. You don't have to say, "Well, this is my marriage. I'm just going to I'm just going to have to Uh, grip my teeth and just make it to the end. I know that some people, under the sound of my voice, their marriages did end, and it didn't go the way that they planned. And our church family that that knows this, but just for those who may not know or hearing for the first time, uh, I preach the truth of the Bible without judgment pronounced upon those whose lives have worked out differently. They know more than anybody the hurts and pains that come along with divorce. They've experienced it. Uh, But we still preach the truth of the Word of God. Uh, Sometimes things go terribly wrong. But we can't give up on marriage as a whole. Marriage is still good. It's still honorable. It's still the plan of God. It's not archaic. It's not outdated or unnecessary. Marriage is the plan of God for those who want to unite in uh, the relationship of marriage. So much marital unhappiness occurs because of unbiblical expectations for marriage. So in marriage counseling, one of the things I do is go through and, and we begin to examine what do you expect marriage to be like? What do you hope to get out of this? For a husband, what do you hope to get out of marriage? Well, you know, I expect three meals on the table, piping hot when I walk in the door, and I expect the house to be spotless, and I expect a smooch every time I walk in the door, and I expect this, and I expect the kids to be clean and behave, and me to have no work at all, and it's like, okay, you're going to be unhappy, right? A lady says, well, I expect him to be strong and handsome and thoughtful and attentive and tell me all of his thoughts and share his dreams with me and and to to take me on dates every week and and just lavish me and cherish me and and never get distracted by a phone or a newspaper or or other things to do. You're going to be unhappy. Right. So if we have unbiblical expectations, we're setting ourselves up for failure from the beginning. Now, marriage is one of the most beautiful and rewarding and fulfilling relationships on the planet. But you have to go into it with some biblical wisdom or you're just going to get hurt and you're going to be frustrated and you're going to be unhappy. So when you change your expectations, you immediately change your experience. This happened for us in a very real way when Sarah got sick, Uh, you know. We always had a, a good marriage, and God's always blessed us. But our reality changed when she got so sick. And now I look back at the things that I used to take for granted, and my expectations are different. I used to be so stupid when it came to ironing. I mean, just dumb. I mean, my clothes had to be ironed. I wanted the, the uh, uh, lines down the front of my pants and down the back of my pants, crisp and clean, a little bit of starch, my shirt, No wrinkles, little uh, iron line here and a little iron line there. It was important to me, and I wasn't demanding about it. I wasn't a slave driver. I'd happily do it myself, but she said, no, I want to do this for you. But, man, I got accustomed to have my ironing done right. Sarah got sick, and let me tell you, if I ever walk in here with a wrinkled shirt, I ain't worried about it. My reality has changed. You might even be like, man, did pastor sleep in that shirt last night? <laughs> and uh, maybe I did. Uh, but my expectations changed. Man, I used to get a haircut every two to three weeks, man, looking sharp, this or that. Now I cut my own hair in half for years. And it's like if you ever see a big chunk out the back, I ain't worried about it. You know, I'm I'm trying to feed the family and, and take care of the church and And uh, I take care of my wife and the kids, and my priorities have changed. My expectations have changed. And because of that, I can remain happy, and my wife can remain happy. I mean, imagine her existence. She wants to get up in the morning and go about her day and make her family breakfast and teach the kids school and go to the store, and none of that is possible. Most of what you did today, my wife will not do this month. So how, does, how, does, how do we exist? How does she put a smile on her face? She's had to change her mindset and trusting the Lord. But see, your expectations, the Bible says, hope deferred, make the heart sick. So every time you don't reach your expectations, you're upset. And one way that you can immediately change your experience is to change your expectations. Husband walks in the door and he steps on a Lego. And let me tell you something. They ought to use those things in modern warfare. I mean, if you've ever stepped on a Lego barefooted, I'd just as soon step on a landmine and, like, lose half my leg. I mean, it's like those things hurt. But a guy walks in, and there's a toy out. Ah, oh, woman, what have you been doing all day watching soap operas? You know, she comes in, her hair is tousled, taking care of 14 kids and trying to get dinner on the table. What have you been doing all day? As he plops down in the, 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 the chair and puts up his legs and, bring me a soda, woman. You know, what are you doing around here? I'll, It's like, okay, you're going to be unhappy. Or you could walk in and step on a Lego, and after you praise God for a minute, you say, man, thank God we have these kids. Thank God I have kids. I know families that wish they could have kids, and they can't. See the difference in experience? And so when it comes to marriage, I'm going to give you one aspect of your relationship tonight. That if you change this one thought, it will immediately change your experience in marriage. And that is marriage is a ministry. Let's start at the beginning. Oftentimes, when I'm counseling a couple, we'll have a conversation why do you want to get married? And you know what they usually say? Well, I love them. And that sounds so sweet, it sounds so nice. And it is. But did you know love is a weak reason to get married? It's not a very strong reason to get married. You know why? Feelings change. That's why people come in my office and say, well, we need to separate because we don't love each other anymore. See, if you get married because you love each other, then when you don't feel that anymore, you'll want to stop being married. And I propose to you tonight, there are weak reasons to get married. There are poor reasons to get married. And there are strong reasons to get married. And if you have the the weak expectations of marriage, you're setting yourself up for failure. But there are three biblical reasons that you can choose to enter into a marriage relationship that will change your perspective and one in particular. And I'll tell you this, this isn't just for those who get married uh, in the future. This is for those who are married now. We have to do the same thing in marriage counseling. You know, why did you get married? Why are you unhappy? What needs are not being fulfilled that that are making you unhappy. Did you know that you can change your motivation for staying married tonight? You can change your reason to a good, biblical, strong reason. The reason you got married will influence whether you stay married. Your expectations for married life determine whether or not you'll be happily married. An unbiblical motive for getting married will produce a weak commitment. Your why will keep you going when times are tough or it will give you an out when things get difficult. So I ask you, why do you want to get married? Why did you get married? Why would you stay married? The motivation makes all the difference in the world. Here's another thought. Motives... Determine priorities. Motives determine priorities. For example, if you get married to be happy, you'll prioritize happiness above everything else. I don't care what it costs. I I don't care what we need. We must be happy. So happiness gets bumped to the top of the list. But since you expect your spouse to make you happy, you will blame them when you're not. Oh, you see the trap we're falling into? And ultimately, since you expected marriage to make you happy and marriage isn't making you happy, you will begin to believe that not being married will make you happy. Because if you prioritize happiness above all else, you're in trouble. Why did you get married? I got married because I want to be happy. Then you're in trouble and you need to change that let me give you some weak motives for marriage. first for for marriage first there's the gratification motive this category is a weak motive includes weak motives for marriage based on pleasure for example happiness I just mentioned that there's nothing on earth like the joy of a happy marriage on the other hand there's nothing like the pain of an unhappy marriage Don't get married to be happy. Allow happiness to be a wonderful byproduct of a godly marriage. See, now we're prioritizing happiness where it goes. Uh, The second thing, gratification motive. Well, uh, beauty, not just happiness, but beauty. Boy, I want to get married. He's so handsome. He's so handsome. Or she's so beautiful. And good looks attract a couple initially. The first time I laid eyes on Sarah Nesbitt, the, my first words in my mind were hubba, hubba, hubba. I mean, those are, those are Greek words that are like, praise God, hallelujah. I mean, she's a beautiful woman. But beauty is not a strong enough motive to pledge your lives together. Why? Because youthful beauty changes. Because of the penalty of sin, youthful beauty deteriorates over time. Think about this. If you don't love your spouse's soul, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Song of Solomon 1.7 says, Tell me, O thou, whom my soul loveth. What's their soul? You've got to love their inside, not just the outside. You've got to love who they are. And beauty, truly, is found on the inside. Another gratification motivation are, well, we have so much in common. And of course, enjoying common activities encourages people to partner up. And only a fool would marry someone they don't have anything in common with. However, don't base the rest of your life on, well, we have this in common. We like to go hiking. We like to go fishing. We like to do this or that. Because over time, those things can change. What if the only thing you have in common is going hiking and somebody loses a leg? I know couples that the only thing they have in common is drinking or drugging. And then one of them gets saved and the other spouse is mad because you don't even go to the bar with me anymore. It's the only thing they had in common. And so while it's important to find things in common, listen, my wife and I, although we have commonalities, we are very different people. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a man. (laughs) A rugged man. I like manly stuff. My wife is a woman. She likes feminine things. And so although you will have some things in common, there are going to be more Differences sometimes, then you have things in common. Don't base your life on you have a few things in common because that's a weak reason to get married. I think about differences. Some people get married because of differences. You know, they say opposites attract. A woman with a demanding father may want a husband who is more laid back. A man with a cold mother may want a talkative wife. However, over time, the very things that attracted you become a wedge that separates you. The same woman that wanted a man that's laid back is now upset because he never makes a decision. And the same man that wanted a loving, talkable wife is now upset because she never be, she's never quiet. And if you're not careful, the same things that attract you will eventually become the things that push you away. You must have a stronger motivation than likes and dislikes and beauty and love that changes when you're talking about love as a feeling, which most people do. Those are not good reasons to get married. Another gratification motivation is the marriage bed. Some people just get married for the pleasure of marital relations. Now, the Bible says that's a wonderful privilege of marriage, but you cannot base your entire world on the bedroom. You are setting yourself up for huge disappointment. That's one way, uh, one reason, by the way, that you should save a the marriage bed for marriage. God never intended you to be shacking up. God's not involved in this hookup culture and this sexting culture and this video chat culture and this Tinder culture. All that stuff is just outright vile wickedness. Matter of fact, in our text verse, the Bible says there's also a difference between a woman and a virgin. See, in the Bible, God says you're either married or you're a virgin. That's God's plan. Anything else is fornication, adultery, concupiscence, licentiousness, uncleanness, and all the other words that talk about immorality. And so the marriage bed is a wonderful byproduct, but do not build your marriage on the bedroom. Another reason people get married is obligation. These are weak reasons to get married. Some people feel like they must get married just because they've been dating so long. Well, you know, we've been dating for a few years now. I guess we better get married. If you're that excited about it now, I don't want to see you in two years. Some people get married or they feel like they need to get married because of societal pressure. The parents want them to get married. The the family wants them to get married. The the, the friends want them to get married. You're not married yet? You're not married? I I, I guess I need to get married. Where's the next available guy? That's a terrible reason to get married. Some people... Uh, get married because of sexual sin. They get involved in it and they say, well, I guess now we better get married. Some people get married because of pregnancy. Well, I got pregnant, so I guess I better get married. Let me encourage you. Don't ever get involved with someone. Don't ever date someone who's not worthy to marry. If you wouldn't marry them, don't date them seriously. I don't know if you know this, but dating is a precursor to marriage. Right? And people are famous for dating someone, they give them their heart, then they begin to make excuses. Well, I know he's got a hair trigger and every once in a while he punches the wall, but he's, he's okay, he'd never do that to me. Well, well, I know that she's, she's flirty and, and there's never a guy walks by that, that she doesn't catch the eye, but, but I mean, she, she's my girl. Well, I know they're not saved. I'm going to bring them to church, and they'll, they'll probably get saved. Listen, folks, if they're not worthy to marry, don't date them seriously. Matter of fact, the only date you should have is bring them to church. See if we can preach the devil out of them, and if we can't, move on. Obligation. The terrible reason to get married. Some choose to get married in order to help the spouse. It could be a man rescuing a girl from a terrible situation. Or it could be a woman who thinks that she'll be able to change her man. Or he just needs help. I'll be able to help him. He won't be the same once we get married. Those are terrible reasons to get married. The third reason people get married that's a weak reason, a weak motivation for marriage, is provision. Some desire to get married to gain security. Some people crave marriage in order to get their own needs met. They hope to be served. This is really the the, the true point of the, the message. If you are expecting marriage, if you are getting married so that you can be served, you're in for a world of disappointment. I often tell people in marriage counseling, if you want company, get some friends. Don't get married. If yeah that's right. That's right. Not a cat, get a dog. If you want a clean house, hire a maid, don't get married. If you want someone to cook, go out to eat. It's cheaper than getting married. If you want protection, get an alarm system or hire a security guard. If you want someone to pay your bills, go on welfare. If you want children, adopt. But if you expect to pledge your soul in holy matrimony so that you can have your needs met for the rest of your life, you, sir, you, ma'am, are in a world of trouble. The fastest way to disappointment is getting married so that you can be served Marriage is not primarily about security or service. There are much stronger reasons to get married. Let me ask you this. And just, again, think to yourself, why do you want to get married? Some of you are like, I don't now. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't want to get married anymore. Uh, why do you want to get married? Let me ask you this. Why did you get married? You're like, yeah, boy, preacher, you hit that right. I, I didn't get what I expected out of the deal. The good news is you can change your motive tonight. And changing your motive immediately changes your experience. Now that we've debunked the common reasons for marriage, you may wonder if there's any reasons left. But let me encourage you to build your marriage on things that never change. I want to give you three reasons to get married based on our text, and then we'll go to the house tonight because i got a date with my wife tonight. Hey, i got a date. I think I'm going to make, if Sarah's up to eating, sometimes she can't eat, but if she's up to me- to eating, I've got some, uh, a nice little meal I'm going to prepare for us. Let me just give you a tip. This is free. Buy some pieces of non bread. Make you a chicken pesto pizza. Take some pesto, put it on there. Uh, grill up some chicken with uh, some spices. Put that on there. Slice some cherry tomatoes in half, a little mozzarella, a little basil sprinkled over the top. Hallelujah. Eight minutes in the oven. That's what we're doing tonight. And we're going to have a little date in the bedroom. Try to, keep, Yeah, that's right. Try to keep the kids out. They knock on the door. Get out of here! So anyway, we'll do this, then go to the house. <clears throat> Let's strengthen our reasons for marriage. The, number one, the, the biblical reasons to get married. Number, number one, the will of God. You should only get married because you say, I believe with all my heart, it's the will of Almighty God that I spend the rest of my life with this person. In First in Corinthians chapter 7, it's a chapter on dating and marriage. And I wish we had time just to go through the whole thing, but we'll just pick out some verses. Uh, but in the middle of this chapter on dating and marriage, our Lord deals with the subject of contentment and the will of God. It's interesting, isn't it? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 20. 1 Corinthians 7, 20, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Oh, see that abiding, that contentment? Be content with, with the life God's given you. Be content with the, the, the calling that God's placed on your life. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. So if you're a servant, then serve God. If you're made free, then use it for God's glory. All right, verse verse 22. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. See, it's all in how you think about it. It's all in your expectation. Well, well I'm in bondage. I, I, I can't control my own life. Yeah, but in Christ, you're free. Or someone says, I'm free, I can do whatever I want. No, in reality, you're the servant of Christ. It's all in how you look at it. But abide content in whatever God's called you. Look at verse 23. Ye are bought with a price. Be ye not the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide With God. So why in the middle of this chapter on dating and marriage does God deal with the subject of contentment and just living in the will of God? And the answer is clear, because if you don't learn to be content, you'll never be happy in marriage. Some young people believe that getting married is the answer to all their problems. If I can just get married, everything will be okay. If I can just get married, I won't deal with that temptation. If I can just get married, I won't be lonely. If I can just get married. How many of you married people would like to testify that marriage does not remove all your problems? Can I get a witness? Absolutely. If anything, it magnifies them. And matter of fact, the scripture here tells you that if you get married, you're going to have problems that come along with the marriage. Now, is it worth it? Yes, if it's God's will, you can accomplish more married than you can single. It's the best way to live, but you are going to bring worldly concerns upon yourself because you chose to get married. Marriage doesn't solve your problems. You have to learn to be content with where God has placed you and how he has called you. There are always greener pastures and lowering opportunities. There's always someone who's going to be nicer to you than your spouse is on their worst day. There's always going to be somebody that looks like their marriage is better than yours for the moment. It's always going to be that, that person that just got divorced and now they're free. Well, that looks inviting. Or, oh, that people that they, they just got married, look how much they love each other. We've never been that way. There's always going to be a reason for you to be unhappy unless you settle the fact that I am in the will of God. And I am good with that. God says to abide in your calling. It's true in life and in marriage. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 27. <clears throat> Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Let me talk to those of you who are married. Stop trying to get out of being married. Stop, stop looking for a, an out. I was doing marriage counseling one time and this husband and this wife came in, came in my office and they were sitting there and, and, and she was just really resistant uh, to, to any help. And by the way, that's the only reason Christians ever need to get divorced is if one person in the marriage gets so hard-hearted they just refuse to do it God's way. But that doesn't resolve, absolve you of trying to obey God through that process. But, but she was so resistant, and I told her, I said, if, if you want to save this marriage, you need to let me help you. You need to let God help you. And I said, here's the problem. You're in here in my office saying you, wanna, you want to save your marriage, but in your mind, you've got your hand on the back door just waiting for one final reason to open it and walk out of your marriage. And she was like, I guess that's true. Some weeks later, she gave me a note before church. I scratched out on a piece of scrap paper and it said, I took my hand off the doorknob. She was just looking for a reason. Listen, if you're married, stay married. Well, we're unhappy, then be unhappy. Well, we don't get along, then learn to get along. Well, I'm just not having a good time, then learn how to be happy. Get some joy in your life. Give yourself to God all over again. What in your world makes you think that God puts you on this world to be happy? And your happiness, you can throw away a marriage, you can, you can destroy your testimony, you can blaspheme the cause of Christ, well, because I'm unhappy. You're just not that important. Oh, I hit a nerve there, didn't I, somewhere. <laughs> Nobody in your life's telling you that. The glory of God, the will of God, is more important than your personal happiness. And the roundabout truth is the only way you ever become truly happy and find joy is by understanding that in the first place. You will never become happy by fighting for happiness. The way to get in the Bible is to give. The way to find your life is to lose it. Isn't that what Jesus said? And so if you're married, stay married. But here the Bible says, Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. If you're unmarried, stay unmarried. You say, well, I'm lonely. It's better to be lonely than live with someone in the house that makes you feel worse than lonely. It's better to be unmarried than to marry the wrong person. I tell people that all the time. You're 10,000 times better off marrying nobody than marrying the wrong somebody. A man's not going to make you happy, ma'am. Sir, a woman's not going to make you happy. If you can't find happiness in God Almighty... What makes you think another sinful human is going to change your life and bring you happiness? No, we need to find joy in God. And what, what happens is that if you ever fully give yourself to God and you say, you know what, God, if it's your will, I'll just stand married the rest of my life if that's your plan. God might just send you the person you've been looking for. But you're sure not going to find him on Facebook. You're not going to find him on Christian Mingle. or wherever let God bring him to you let God bring her to you you know Eve didn't have to go or Adam didn't have to go looking for Eve he got busy serving God and God brought Eve to him and the same thing works for us all right and so learn to be content in your calling well here's a thought you say well maybe I preacher I think I married the wrong person and there's people that that think that they say you know what I knew it was wrong. I've even had people say, I knew I shouldn't have married him, but I did anyway. Or, you know, I wondered if it was right, but now I know I've made a mistake. So I think I need to get divorced because I didn't marry the right person. Well, here's the thing. When you marry somebody, that person becomes God's will. So if you're married, you don't have to wonder if you married the right person. It's done. It's done. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, well, if you, if you married the wrong person, then you can do it over. No, the truth is God can take that situation and turn it into a wonderful blessing as you and hopefully your spouse commit yourselves into the Lord. It's a wonderful thing, amen? If it's God's will for you to marry, don't worry about the future. He'll work it out. Marry the one who's God's will for you. Don't settle for anyone else. Don't fall for a counterfeit. If you're here today and you're a a young person and, and you're not married, or perhaps you're an adult and not married, I guarantee you Satan has a counterfeit prepared for you. He has someone that looks good, they talk the talk, they walk the talk, they make you feel like you never felt before, and they will ruin your life. Well, how do I know who to marry? The will of God. If you're searching for the will of God, God will bring them to you. Your parents will agree. Uh, their parents will usually agree, the preacher will agree, God will put his confirmation on it. I'll tell you this, I would never marry someone that my parents didn't, didn't believe was right for me. I'm telling you for sure, even if my parents weren't great Christians or even lost, if, if my parents would have said, I don't think Sarah's right for you, we wouldn't be married today. If her parents would have said, I don't think Paul's right for you, we wouldn't be married today. If my dating counselor or either of my preachers would have said, I don't think they're right for you, we wouldn't be married today. The the counsel that God has put around you is a wonderful confirmation and a protection. Submit to that and you'll never be sorry. And there's safety in a multitude of counselors, amen? All right, the will of God why is this an important reason to get married because the will of God never changes you know Sarah got sick we've never one time wondered if we are supposed to be married that's the will of God That doesn't change with circumstance Uh, it was the it was the will of God for my family to move here and be your pastor which is privilege of my life Sarah got sick God didn't tell me that changed some people over the years haven't wanted me to be their pastor but God didn't tell me when you know something's the will of God, it gives you a, a security and a certainty that nothing can shake or rattle. And so how in the world could you pledge your, your rest of your days to someone unless you can look at them and the people in your life and say, I have no doubt, no reservation that you're God's will for me. And as I said, if you're already married, the, the thinking's over. Uh, just stay married and ask God to make it work. All right? Uh, let's look at number two, and this is really the crux of the message. So the, the first biblical reason to get married is the will of God. The second biblical reason to get married is the desire to minister. So the, the title of the message is uh, The Ministry of Marriage. Uh, uh, if you're getting married to have your needs met, you're doing yourself a disservice and your spouse a disservice, right? Uh, if you want a butler, ma'am... If, if if you want someone to just serve you then hire a butler or or sir if you just want someone to take care of your every need uh, that's not a wife's goal is for or her function is for you to demand upon her everything that you think you need and want but here's the true function of marriage marriage says i want to be the one to take care of your needs I want to marry you because someone is going to marry you, but they're not going to do as good a job as I will because I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to love you like no one else will ever love you. I'll protect you like no one will protect you. I will take care of you. I will never leave you by God's grace. I want to be the one that takes care of you. And this is the difference between the heart of service or someone demanding their rights. I don't demand my rights upon my wife. We'll have conversations about things that perhaps there's a need that that, uh, we need to talk about or there's something in our marriage that could work better. I'm not talking about you don't have conversations and you work through difficult things. But I'm saying I don't expect my wife to be my slave. I don't expect her to make me happy. I don't expect her to live every day trying to please me but wait a minute that's how she lives she lives every day to take care of me she lives every day to make me happy she lives every day to take care of my needs i can't tell you how many times i'll bring her a meal in the bedroom and she'll lay there with tears running down her face and she'll say i wish so much i could make your meal She'd say, I heard you out in the kitchen, and she said, I pictured myself opening the drawer and getting out the utensils and opening the drawer and getting out the skillet and, and, and making you a meal. She said, I made you a meal in my mind. I'll bring in folded laundry, and she'll say, oh, I wish so much I could do the laundry like I used to. I'm so sorry you have to do the laundry. But see, that's how she lived before she got sick. I have a problem as a man. My socks just never made it in the hamper. I don't know what the problem is. All my other clothes went in the hamper, but my socks would just go on the floor. And you know what? It didn't bother me at all. Matter of fact, I used to tease my wife, socks go on the floor. Socks don't go on a hamper. And uh, she used to tease me. She'd say, you know, I, I love picking up your socks off the floor. Now, did she really? I don't know. But I wanted to accommodate her, so I just kept putting them on the floor, you know. The truth is, I want to take care of my wife. It's my privilege to take care of her. I want to be the one that pays the bills. I want to be the one that's there in case something goes wrong. I want to be the one to support her. I want to be that man. Now watch this. That's the ministry of marriage. Don't get married to get your own needs met get married to take care of their needs let me show you in the scripture first Corinthians chapter 7 verse 32 but I would have you without carefulness he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord how he may please the Lord I want you to look at me men this is talking to you the Bible says an unmarried man his total focus should be on pleasing the Lord you're gonna work you're gonna have responsibilities But your goal in life is to please God. Now look at me, men. How many of you men here tonight can honestly say, you single men, you can honestly say, with all my heart, with all my preparation, with everything that is in me, I am living to please God? Boy, probably not very many. The Bible says if you're unmarried, your your whole world is wrapped up in how to please God, and that's the way it should be. But then read on. Verse 33, but he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. All right, so after you get married, God says, I expect you to take some of the time and energy I've given you to serve your wife, to take care of your wife, to please your wife. Look at verse 34. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, how she may be holy both in body and in spirit. Now look at me, ladies. How many of you ladies in this room tonight, you single ladies, you say, my goal in life is to be holy in body and in spirit. I want to be pleasing to God in body and in spirit. The Bible says that should be the goal of every woman in the room. But single women, I mean, that's yes, you'll work, yes, you'll do your responsibilities, but your motivation in life is that. But wait a minute, once you get married, God wants you to add to that. Look at the middle of verse 34. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So God says, I want you to take some of that time and energy and effort, and now you're looking to please your husband. I want you to look at these words. The man is supposed to please his wife. The wife is supposed to please her. Her husband, not, well, woman, I I went to work. What else do you expect? Well, I made you breakfast. You expect me to make dinner, too? Or I made you dinner. You expect me to make? If you're not careful in your marriage, you'll begin fighting for your rights. Why aren't you taking care of me? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? That is the path to unhappiness. But I encourage every married person in in this room, every married person in this room, Study your wife, study your husband, learn what makes them happy. And do that. Well, that's hard, isn't it? Learn what makes them happy and do that. See, it's about ministry. I want to please my wife. Uh, uh, She wants to please her husband. All right, we see the ministry of marriage. Married life is a life of service. Let me help you men with something. A man must work a job and then come home and serve his family. When you get off work, your work's not over. Your family needs you. Do you know that while you're at work, your wife works, especially if you've got kids? And then when you come home, she gets more work to take care of you. Be an engaged husband. Be a present father. Uh, Be involved. Come home and talk to your spouse. You know, one reason why she married you is to talk to you every once in a while. She wanted to be with you. Come home and enter her day. Honey, how'd your day go? How'd things go? And, And wife, enter your husband's life. Hey, how'd work go? Know his job. Know what he does. Enter into his world. It's a ministry of marriage. Help around the house, men. Show your love. Be an engaged father. Train and correct the children. Teach the children how to serve God by word and example. Help the wife. Let me give you two statements that will help every marriage tomorrow. You can ask your spouse, how can I help you? I mean, just try it sometime. And after after your wife has a heart attack and picks herself up off the floor, honey, how can I help you? Here's the other thought. Ask, how can I make your day easier? See, those are ministry questions, aren't they? How can I help you? How can I make your day easier? You're reaching into their world. A woman must serve her husband by caring for his needs, respect him, love him emotionally and physically, prepare the meals, clean the house, do the shopping, enter his world, encourage his heart. Let me show you a verse over here. Hold your place there. Ephesians chapter 5. And let's get this thought finished. Ephesians chapter 5, and the famous verse 21. <clears throat> Let's read it together. Ready? Ephesians 5, 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, this verse is often misunderstood. Uh, I've heard some people say this verse, well, see, the, 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 the men have to submit to the women too, and, and the, men, the, the women have to submit to the men, And while that's true, we miss the point of the message. This verse does not speak of authority in the home. This verse is not about authority. The lines of authority are clearly drawn in verses 22 and 24. Let's look at them. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let, their wives, so let the wives be to their husbands in every thing. So the Bible says very clearly, God's in charge, the man follows God, the woman follows the man, the children follow both the parents. Right? The lines of authority are clear. You say, well, you don't understand, I can't trust my husband to make decisions. Then why in the world did you marry someone that you can't trust to make decisions? Well, he was so handsome. Well, I loved him. See, now we go back to the beginning, right? The bad motivations. My, my wife has a philosophy that's so helpful, and, and I've heard her teach my girls this. I've heard her teach other ladies. She says, you know, as a, as a lady, it's a wonderful thing that I'm not held accountable to God for the decisions of our family. It just takes a lot of pressure off to know that I'm not accountable to God, my wife says. But men, what that means is you are accountable to God. And so the, the authority in a marriage is not a man beating his fist and treating his woman like, like some cave woman, grabbing her by the hair and dragging her around. And, no, no, no. This is a holy stewardship. The truth is it's easier not to be in charge than to be in charge. But you men have to take responsibility for your family. You're the spiritual and, and family leader. But the Bible says God follows, God's in charge, a man follows God. The woman follows the man, the children follow both of them. So the lines of authority are clear. So what does verse 21 mean? Ephesians 5.21 is not talking about authority. It's talking about a mindset of service. Submitting yourselves, the one to another in the fear of God, submitting yourselves to the needs of another. Maybe a husband wants one thing, but the wife needs another. So he submits to that. Maybe the wife wants one thing, but the husband needs another. So she submits to that. I remember years ago, my wife came to me and asked me if she could have a fish in the bedroom. I said, why do you want a fish? She said, well, when, when I'm awake at night and everybody's sleeping, I want something to, to keep me company. And I thought, boy, a fish, we can do better than a fish. A fish isn't much company. I don't know if you know that. But they don't, they don't talk to you much. Petting a fish is kind of difficult. They don't snuggle with you at night. Uh, but I had $600 saved up. And I had my eye on a 357 Magnum chrome plated with a six inch barrel. For those of you that don't know any better, that's a real nice gun. 357 Magnum, that's a nice round. I was thinking about it for a long time. I had my eye on it. It's actually $625. I had enough money to buy it. But my wife came to me and said, I'd just like to have a fish. I thought, well, she could sleep with my gun. You know that that would keep her keep her company at night, make her feel safe. And the Lord began working on my heart, and I thought, well, we could probably at least get her a companion dog. And so I began to do some research, and eventually I spent my six hundred and uh, my six hundred dollars on this dog that was just made to be a companion. And for years now, this dog sleeps right in our bed. Perfect gentleman comforts my wife. It can like sense when she is sick, and he'll actually snuggle with her, and she, she feels, you know, the, the, the tactile feeling of his soft hair is soothing to her in the night, but my one stipulation was, if I can't have my gun, I'm going to let you name the dog, but his middle name will be Magnum, because I'm giving up my gun, and you know, for six or seven years now, Cody Magnum lives in our house. And it would have been nice to have that gun, but I submitted to the needs of my wife. It's almost like Philippians chapter 2 where it says, think not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So this verse also talks about the ministry of marriage. As soon as you start fighting for your rights, your marriage is in trouble. That doesn't mean you can't bring up needs. That doesn't mean you can't talk about difficult things and if a need is not being met certainly you should talk about it but you can't get stuck there and stop doing your responsibilities because they're not doing theirs that's a death spiral the ministry of marriage and i ask you why did you get married did you get married so you could be served or did you get married so you could serve I encourage you to change your motivation tonight. Why should we get married? Why should we stay married? Well, number one, it's the will of God. I'm already married, so it's the will of God. Or I believe this person is the will of God. My counselors confirm it. They're worthy to be married, to marry according to the Bible. The second reason to get married is because I don't want anyone else to take care of them. I want to be the one to do it. I want to get up in the middle of the night. I want to clean up their throw up after they, they throw up. I want to take them to the hospital. I want to pay the bills. I want to have his children. I want to rear his children. I want to wash the clothes. I want to do the dishes. I want to cook the meals. I want to take care of you. And if you make that one change in your mind tonight, your experience changes. So when you're washing those clothes, It's not, well, why can't he wash his clothes? Boy, what does he do? These things stink so bad, and what is this on there, this black stuff? (laughs) You're loading the washer saying, Lord, thank you for my husband. Lord, thank you that he works so hard. A guy comes home, and he's working on the house, and he's thinking, boy, Lord, thank you for a wife that can share this house with me. I've worked a long, hard day, and I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to come home and help. It changes everything, doesn't it? The last reason to get married, and I'll just mention it, is the glory of God. Your marriage is a physical representation of God's relationship with his people, Christ and the church. And when a husband loves his wife, he is showing the world how much Christ loves the church. And when a wife submits to her husband, she is showing the world how how much Christians want to follow Christ. And when a a Christian couple stays together through thick and thin, they are showing the world that God has the power to keep us married. It's for the glory of God. And there's a lot we could say about that, but we close. Father, help us as we uh, consider the things that were mentioned tonight. Lord, there's a lot that we could discuss on the subject of marriage, and it's a blessing to be married. It's a privilege to know the Bible and to talk about it. I pray, Lord, that you'd help every Christian to have a ministry mindset when it comes to marriage, to deal with the weak reasons, the weak motivations that perhaps we got married and replace them with the biblical motives of the will of God, the desire to minister, the glory of God and that we would do our best to honor you with the closest and most sacred relationship you've given us on earth, and that's with our spouses. Our heads about our eyes are closed. Of course, if you're here tonight and you're not sure you're saved, tonight would be a great night for you to trust Christ. No reason to be lost another night. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. He'll forgive you of your sin, take you to heaven. We'd love to take a Bible and show you how to make that happen. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're married and you say, boy, preacher, we've been struggling. Well, how about you change your motivation? Well, my husband's not changing, my wife's not changing. It's not about them. It's about you and your God. Maybe you're here tonight and you say, boy, I'm not married. I hope to be one day. Well, the Bible gives you an awful lot of information about how to go about it. Let's join the ministry of marriage. Let's stand.